below in the beginning there was a big bang which led me to the creation of brief history of time. Now from beyond the grave. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-
I have been redesigning bedrooms, <laughs> and you have been fisting monkeys. Yep, that's that's essentially it. Um, I'm not really allowed back at the zoo anymore, so yeah. Thanks for that, Dave. <laughs> I have to lower the tone. <laughs> It's 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 what I'm good for. <laughs> so we discussed the dead don't die last week. What are yes. we what are we going to be doing this week? So this week uh, we're going to be doing Knives Out, which was released. I think I think it was definitely the back end of last year, 2019, and it was written and directed by Ryan Johnson, the genius that was behind one of my favourite films from 2012, which was Looper. Sun's down into your eyes. It's too strange. Your face looks backwards. Yeah. So do you know what's gonna happen? You done all this already? As me? I don't want to talk about time travel. Because if we start talking about it, then we're gonna be here all day talking about it, making diagrams with straws. We both know how this has to go down. I can't let you walk away from this diner alive. This is my life now. I earned it. You had yours already. So why don't you do what old men do? And die. Why don't you just take your little gun out of between your legs and do it? Boy. Like, I, I loved Looper. I thought it was really, really good. Very clever, and I always think that it's a bit of a, a risk when, like, whenever you introduce time travel and, you know, as a, either a running theme or an aspect to a film, things like uh, Back to the Future and Terminator and things like that. And there's different paradox, paradoxes, paradoxy, paradox I, uh, that you can subscribe. You can subscribe to um, whether it is if you go back into the past or if you go to the future, and then you come back to your own timeline. Nothing's changed because it's all laid out. Or if you go into the past and then come back to the future, you might turn invisible because your parents never met, or you know things like that. So when it got to Looper, it was a bit of a, bit of a, head muck mind muck yeah i'm gonna just try and not say the the f word um just just trying to kind of keep up with it it was almost like it was a chris nolan film but chris nolan didn't actually make the film oh that's that's a very good way to look at it yeah i was always struck by the casting when mm. when i first read that looper was getting made an empire i saw the casting of joseph gordon levitt and i knew that he'd been in Brian Johnson's previous film, Brick. Uh, so quite, quite key collaboration going on there. But then it said that he was going to be playing the younger Bruce Willis. And I was thinking, huh, right, okay. I don't really see that. But <laughs> phenomenal kind of makeup that they did. Very simple with the kind of nose and the jawline. And I think when I think of um, Looper, it's yeah. the transformation scene that they do over as time kind of we see his character age and his hair hair starts to thin a bit and he slowly morphs or becomes bruce willis yeah future version yeah yeah uh, i think you're you're on to a winner choosing brian johnson mm -hmm. for for our next film yeah and uh the other thing as well i mean i unfortunately never got to see this in the cinema for whatever reason but the cast like the cast for the dead don't die last week was really good but the cast yeah. for this is just 
it's ridiculous. It's Daniel Craig, it's Chris Evans, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, it's Michael Shannon, Christopher Plummer. Um, it's got so many high reputable good actors and actresses in it playing it's like a generational cast yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it transcends time <laughs> see just uh, this question just popped into my head just before we 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 go on with with knives out time travel if yeah. uh, homer simpson uses a, a toaster in one of the uh, treehouse <laughs> horror episodes okay we have the, we have the delorean we have the 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 phone box um mm-hmm. what what is your preferred method of time travel? Let's go back to the time when dinosaurs weren't just confined to zoos. Okay, don't panic. Remember the advice your father gave you on your wedding day. If you ever travel back in time, don't step on anything, because even the tiniest change can alter the future in ways you can't imagine. Fine. As long as I stand perfectly still and don't touch anything, I won't destroy the future. Stupid bug! You go squish now! (gasps) But that was just one little insignificant mosquito. That can't change the future, right? Right? Probably the toaster, um, not only because I'm a Simpsons fan, but it's just that little bit more ridiculous. I mean, a phone box and a DeLorean are both equally quite ridiculous as time machines, but the fact that Homer just tried to fix a toaster that was knackered and inadvertently created a time machine, fantastic. I loved it. So I'd go with the toaster. What about, what about you? What about you? Got to go with the phone box because, <laughs> you know, it's, you can conceal it, you can walk away from it. True. People want to use it as a phone, then they can. <laughs> and, yeah, it's, there's just something about a phone box that's, that's subtle, especially one that, that, that goes into the ground and into the, the loops of time. As it tra- as it travels along, but uh, you know, if, if Bill and Ted are going to be my companions, oh yeah, fantastic. Uh, especially now that there's going to be old Bill and Ted and Bill and yeah. Ted based music, I cannot wait for that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm I'm kind of I'm looking forward to it, but I, I know it sounds nasty, but I don't have high hopes for it. But I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, skepticism. Maybe that'll be I the know. future one that we go for. So, can you tell us what Knives Out is about? Harlan started out with a rusty Smith Corona and built himself into one of the best-selling mystery writers of all time. 30 languages, over 80 million copies sold. You guys fans? I mean, I don't do much fiction reading myself. Big fan. I'm a big fan. Who is that guy? Uh, Mr. Blanc is a private investigator of great renown. I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. You're famous. The night of his demise, the family had gathered to celebrate your father's 85th birthday. And your son, Ransom, did he attend as well? Yes, but he left early. I think Linda was upset. Walt would get a little Irish courage in him. He'd get into it with Harlan. What? Richard said what? Are you baiting me, detective? Attempting to be thorough so we can figure out the manner of death. You mean if someone killed him? You think one of us, one of his family, Walt, Walt. killed him? Mr. Blanc, I just buried my father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I suspect 
Foul play. I have eliminated no suspects. A detective investigates the murder of a patriarch of an eccentric and combative family. So essentially, uh, Christopher Plummer plays Harlan Thromby, who is a very successful crime novelist. Has wrote hundreds of books and they've sold millions and millions of copy world copies worldwide. He's getting on a bit. He has his, I think it's his 80th birthday. I want to say it's his 80th birthday. It's his 85th. You know, I've actually got... 85th. His, I've, got, I've got his age written down because in real life, Christopher Plummer is actually 90. You know? so Good I, God. I, I think there was big incentive for him to sign up. He's like, I've got, I get to play a younger guy? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Shave five years off. But yeah, so yeah, he essentially invites his um, family round for his 85th birthday. And yeah, he unfortunately doesn't make it through the night. And it's a, it's a bit of a whodunit, like, it looks like a suicide, but there's things indicating that that doesn't match up. So they bring in uh, Benoit Blanc, which is Daniel Craig's Sorry, can, uh, character. Can you just say his name again? In, in this... Daniel Craig plays, oh yeah, in the, in the, the, southern, in the southern role, uh, Benoit Blanc. Okay, I think. okay. Yeah. Okay, for the, for the next like two minutes, you just have to try and talk like that. That that was that was that was <laughs> phenomenal. I may struggle to talk like a foghorn leghorn for another two minutes, but uh, I will endeavour to do. No, I can't. I, I can't keep going. It's too difficult. <laughs> it's foghorn leghorn cross. Essentially, Gump. <laughs> Jenny. Do you have a box of chocolates? Laugh is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> You never knows what you're going to get <laughs> unless you follow the instructions which are on the box. That's true. Very true. I always like those little instructions. At least you know what you're getting because I hate strawberry chocolate stuff. Uh, get it away. I will always go for an orange an orange cream. Hmm. Mm-hmm. No, good choice. Essentially, it's a mystery, mystery sort of dark comedy almost. I don't know if it's a dark comedy. It's, it, there's definitely comedic elements to it. It's a whodunit, essentially. It's a bit like Clue. It's definitely a tribute to murder mystery. You've got elements of yeah. like Clue. One of my favourite mystery kind of films is a British movie called Sleuth. It came out in 1972 and has Michael Caine and Lawrence mm. Olivier in it. And uh, I'll, I'll come back to this later on, but there's lots of little nods to that movie. And it was based on a play that was adapted. In that film, you actually only had two people the whole film and Michael Caine actually reappears after you think with the audience we think that he has he's dead he's been murdered by Lawrence oh. Levy who is also a wealthy but very eccentric murder mystery writer and he invites Michael Caine along and tries to kind of warn him about the dangers of having an affair with his his wife as as such mm-hmm. and we think Michael Caine is dead and a police officer turns up, a uh, detective, to investigate Michael Caine's death. But it's actually Michael Caine and he's in full makeup. It's very clever, it's very dark comedy, very British. But there's there's lots of things in this film that points to sleuth. One of the main ones actually being the, the sailor, the stuffed sailor that's at the bottom yeah. of the stairs. In sleuth, you've got Jolly Jack Tar, who, if you push a button, he laughs, <laughs> and moves, and it's quite it's quite scary. But at the foot of the stairs in, in Knives Out, you have this sailor 
just kind of propped up there. Oh, yeah. But it's just a subtle thing for the kind of interior design. But like you said, we've got this we've got this murder mystery. It's a bit of a dark comedy. It's, a, it's quite complex. You've got this huge ensemble cast. Uh, for those listening, we are going to be mentioning spoilers if, in case you haven't seen the movie. Yeah, spoiler alert. The whole point of us doing this is to talk about kind of our love of, of films in general, review films, but we're we're not really hiding what happens in the films. You know, we we encourage people to obviously see them. We have seen them, but we're not going to dancer in the bush. Okay, we we will be discussing intricate plot details so if you if you uh don't mind that then keep listening no that was very good i was just about to actually mention to you about doing a bit of a spoiler alert just in case anyone does want to watch it before they hear us go on and on about it i don't have a button but i just i feel like i should i should whenever you you read the empire it has massive spoilers at the top it says spoiler alert spoiler alert yeah i feel like i need an alarm button that i just hit and go spoiler spoiler that way people know i'm gonna just say straight off the bat i thoroughly enjoyed it i haven't watched as many kind of murdery murdery murder mystery or murdery films i haven't watched a great deal of them in the grand scheme of things i know of them things like you know clue you obviously mentioned brick which i watched the trailer for that and it does it does look really good so i'm gonna go out my way and try and find that 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 one looks a bit more like a kind of detective sort of noir kind of film but set in a high school kind of thing so that looks really good and i mean again done by ryan johnson and he definitely i I mean i was i was sucked in i was trying to figure out who done it the entire time who the bad guys were and it was funny when it needed to be but it wasn't it wasn't trying too hard i don't think like i think the ridiculousness of the situation made it funny in its own right i mean obviously christopher Plummer harlan dies he's got a fat fat um, you know inheritance that the entire family is all trying to get a bit of because he's you know he's made millions writing these books and it's just the reactions the the conversations that happen between different members of the family who's done this who's done that and it i, I don't think i don't think at any point it was difficult to follow i mean i think he which which for a cast that size i thought would be quite difficult but you tend to I mean, I personally found it quite easy to follow who was who, who who was the wife or husband or daughter or brother of whoever else in the family. It was, um, it really wasn't that difficult. So I think it was explained quite well from the outset. Yeah, I I, I think the interview process helped. The fact that it was mm. set everybody down, and this is the person that we're speaking to. So this is when Daniel Craig Ben Ben. <laughs> is conducting his his Sherlock Holmes Hercule Poirot investigations, but he's kind of doing it to begin with through the two police officers. Uh, one one of yeah. which is Lakeith Stanfield, who is in Get Out. Oh yeah. You, you quickly notice a pattern when he's when he's interviewing people, such as the little traits. He's got the coin that he manipulates in his fingers, so to show us that he's he's thinking about their answers very very meticulously he's got the piano mm-hmm. key that he keeps pressing to signal to lieutenant elliot i want you to ask the family member what time they arrived at the party so every time he hits the key it's that kind of question so it's just setting the scene mr blanc i know who you are i read your profile in the new yorker i found it delightful 
I just buried my 85-year-old father who committed suicide. Why are you here? I'm here at the behest of a client. Who? I cannot say, but let me assure you this. My presence will be ornamental. You will find me a respectful, quiet, passive observer of the truth. These are the characters, and they're, yep. they're all unpleasant. There's not, there's not one of them that's likable. Every single one of them says a different version of the same story. We were celebrating our father's 85th birthday. We were by his side. Everybody says that. So it's impossible for them all to be by his side. And at the heart of it, you've got a family that believes they're self-made, but everything comes from, mm. from Harland. Yeah. So like you said, he has this mass fortune. He yep. has this $60 million. He's got the house. He's got the legacy of all of his books. And his one of his daughters, played by Tony Collette, has her own business. Another one, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, is in real estate, which she set up using a million dollars of Harlan's money. Okay, Everybody that claims to do something is doing it from Harlan. Even even Chris Evans' character, Ransom, he is a, he is a researcher of for the books. So they're all sponges. So you have this this incredible ensemble cast, very unlikable people, all of who have motive because they've all got something kind of mm -hmm. to gain. They've all got, you know, they they're not self-made. They need mm -hmm. his money. They, they need him to, to bail him out of things, which is why when Daniel Craig turns up, I mean, he kind of goes... I suspect foul play. He's immediately quoting Sherlock Holmes. You, you've got this in, incredible accent, which is a more kind of intelligent version of what he did in Logan Lucky, where he was the, the southern bank robber who blew things up. <laughs> And he had the kind of idiotic droll yeah. for that. Now you've got this kind of very sophisticated one. And like you said, you, you know, your impression earlier on, it's, it is, it's kind of like Foghorn Leghorn. Mm. But he's got, he's got some of the best lines. And again, they come from things like Sherlock Holmes. And he clearly knows much more than he's letting on. I have eliminated no suspects. <laughs> Harlan was cleaning house. Everyone in the family has possible motives. Was Harlan planning on cutting off Joni? Did he plan to fire Walter? Is Richard having an affair? That's some heavy-duty conjecture. He will say something is a foot, and foot's very important because it's one of the main clues to yeah. spot of blood, which is on Harlan's nurse's foot. So, do you want to do you want to talk about the? twist in the tale or the kind of what leads to the revelation of Harlan's death. Anna de Armas, I think her, the actress's name, um, she plays Marta Cabrera, who is Harlan's nurse. He's Harlan's old, he's got medical conditions and she obviously kind of looks after him, but it's made quite apparent that Marta is more of a friend to Harlan than anything else. Like they're just they're just good friends. She's a friend first and a nurse second kind of thing. And there seems to be a bit of a 
a bit of a, a bit of confusion and Harlan is essentially given the wrong medication. I think it was was it it was morphine. Was it too much morphine or something? Yeah. Yes, Mar- Marta believes that she is given uh, Harlan a uh, 100 milligrams of the good stuff, morphine. <laughs> uh, and she 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 would normally give him 3 milligrams of morphine to help him sleep. Uh, but yeah. she, she gives him extra to because it's a treat for his birthday mm-hmm. but she gives him 100 milligrams of morphine yeah or or, or she she believes that she's done that yeah because uh, she harlan was supposed to get 100 milligrams of what his actual medication was and the vials had been switched around so she immediately starts to panic because she knows that harlan's got about 10 minutes before like his body gives out and harlan seems oddly okay about all of this he has spent the majority of his birthday kind of speaking to different members of his family concerning his will, concerning, you know, business things. And he knows that his family aren't going to be happy with the sort of decisions he's made. And so at the end of the night, he just wants to wind down with his friend and just play this board game and, you know, kind of be put to bed, as it were. And, uh, you know, he, he he almost kind of does, but he ends up... Well, spoiler alert here, we're, you know, no turning back now. He essentially cuts his own throat. He really doesn't, He, you know, if he's going to go out in 10 minutes, you know, he might as well just speed the process up. You know, he's 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 made the amendments that he wants to and he's on his way out. He also knows what's going to happen with his will. Yeah. And yeah, so that's, that's the kind of amendments. But also he knows that he needs to kind of protect Marta. Yes. Because she she is the main beneficiary. Mm-hmm. For 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 his new will, yep. which is going to be revealed later on, and I mean the main reason she's the main beneficiary is because, like you said, she she is a friend first. She mm-hmm. has nothing to gain from Harlan other other than no. companionship, other than friendship. She she doesn't see herself as a nurse to him. She sees herself as a friend, and Harlan realizes yeah. that that was the the one thing that he was he was missing because he's surrounded by these needy horrible people even the subtle things like don johnson yep. uh, plays his son-in-law okay uh, richard drysdale and when he's being interviewed he he makes a comment and he says he actually quotes from hamilton and mm-hmm. one of the fellow police officers smiles yep. and and Don Johnson uh, makes a point about saying, I saw Hamilton off, off, off Broadway. No, I saw it before it was a hit. I got access to it. And it's it's the there's this subtle little thing there because it's like, right, I'm talking about Hamilton. Yeah. Where, you know, you've got a musical uh, written by uh, uh, an immigrant, you've, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's that subtlety of racism. I mean, you, you have that in Get Out as well. The the father, Dean Armitage, would make subtle comments uh, to the, the main African-American character, Chris, like, if I could have, I would have voted for Obama for a third term. But you got a good person in Marta, and she, and she is an immigrant. And it's funny because you, you quite clearly get an idea of this kind of racist self-centered family early on Mm. because none of them can actually remember where Martha is from yeah no um the country of origin changes about four or five times it's like ecuador or paraguay or you know it's somewhere in either south or central america but they never get it right 
Yes, it's very much reminiscent of Trump. I'm going to build a wall. I'm going to keep them out. You've got these white elitists who, do you know what? She's the help. That's that. That's nothing more. So they're they're never. Yeah, yeah. They would never be scared of Marta, which is why it's a lovely touch that Harlan actually leaves everything to yeah. her. But then the complications start, don't they? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I was going to just comment, one of the things I enjoyed probably a little too much was everyone's reaction as the will was being read out. Now here's a funny little tidbit for you. Um, you might know this. Can you remember who plays the lawyer, Harlan's lawyer, who reads out the will? It's Frank Oz. It's Frank Oz. And yes. uh, what's Frank What's Frank Oz well known for doing? Frank Oz is well known for being both the performer, the puppet performer, and the voice of Yoda. And he would have known Ryan Johnson from his work on The Last Jedi. Yep, which I thought was really funny. And not only Yoda, uh, Muppets as well. He done like Fozzie Bear and stuff. Fozzie He's, Bear, I, 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 yeah, I just found it hilarious because I saw the name Frank Oz and I'm like, I've I know that name like yeah. quite well. If we ever seen it before, went on IMDb, checked uh, the other things he'd done, and yeah, he's done countless Muppets. <laughs> Lovely cameo moment. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, like I was saying, it was quite a satisfying moment because I don't know. I think a lot of people tend to cheer for the innocent person that always tries to do well, and they end up actually kind of you know coming up quite well. You know the the entirety of Harlan's will is essentially left to Mara. I, Harlan Thromby, being of sound mind and body and yada, 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 I hereby direct that all my assets, both liquid and otherwise, I leave in their entirety to Marta Cabrera. My entire ownership of Blood Like Wine Publishing I leave in its entirety to Marta Cabrera. The copyright of its catalog, likewise, I leave in its entirety to Marta Cabrera. Uh, no. That's not, no. that's, no, that can't be. No. Can I see that, please, Alan? Yeah, that's right. Please. This can't be legal. It's right. He's, you know, he's been, oh he's been, he's been, he's been, he's been, he's been, I don't know what to say, we're his family, so, it's not possible, there's safeguards against it, right, fine, something, I think, you know, Alan, listen, in his final days, he's on a great deal of medication, I mean, I don't know, Alan, you take this piece of paper and shove it right up your ass and get out, and you cops, too, out, out, Right now. And Linda? No, Richard. We need to talk. We need to, to fight this thing. We're not going anywhere. I said get out. We are the thrombies, goddammit. This is still our house. Oh, sorry. Uh, likewise, the house at 2 Dearborn Drive and all belongings therein, I leave to Marta Cabrera. <gasps> oh. oh, you little bitch. <gasps> you. Everybody just needs to cool it. You had bit. sex with my grandpa, you dirty anchor baby. In the meantime, I'd be rough. Now, Marta becomes 
what we perceive to be the main suspect though. Yes. I'm I'm not gonna deny I was kind of waiting for Marta to kind of, you know, the, the like there to be the main twist that she had actually done it the entire time. Like, because, you know, right at the start, it's not plainly evident that that was what was happened or that, you know, Harlan had committed suicide. And, you know, she was the last person to see him alive kind of thing. And obviously finding out what she'd done, what she was instructed to do, this, that, and the next thing. But it was kind of nice from start to finish to actually see that she was a good person in a really horrible situation and she'd just done her best with it. You find out it was, it was not an act. The, no. It, it could have been very easy to have Marta as, do you know what? I was just being nice to the old guy and he's final kind of months yeah. and things. Uh, but really, I'm out for revenge against these white privileged people. Yeah, that would have been too easy. Mm-hmm. I think to keep with the greedy relatives, that is where the truth was always going to kind of come from. So Marta is the key suspect, but who actually turns out to have committed the crime? Who who actually who actually did it as it were? Yeah, who did it? <laughs> in this who done it? Well, it was it was actually Harlan. Like Harlan actually did take his own life, but it was uh, it was ransom. Ransom Drysdale was uh, well. I mean, you'd have to kind of watch all the intricacies of the story that follows. But ransom was trying to salvage. He knew wh- what was going to become of the will and what he was going to get out of it, which was essentially zilch. And he tried to manipulate it in a way to come across as, even though he's this incredibly, Chris Evans plays this incredibly unlikable character, which I thought was really good because they're all quite unlikable people. Bunny Ransom, you skipped the funeral, but you're early for the will reading. I think it means our father finally came to his senses and cut this worthless little brat out of his will. So I guess you're going to have to sell the Beamer and give your notice at the country club and kick whatever fashion drug you're on. Because if you think that after all the bridges you burned, after all the shit you said, after everything that you put this family through for the last 10 years, that any of us are going to support you, that any of us are going to give you, like Dad liked to say, a single red dime, you're nuts! This might be the best thing that could ever happen to you. Thank you. My mother, ladies and gentlemen. Look, this is not going to be easy for you, but it'll be good. Nothing good is ever easy. Up your ass, Joni. You've had your teeth in this family's tit for a long time. Up your ass? Oh, very nice. Matter of fact, eat shit. What? How's that? In fact, eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. Don't talk to your mother. Definitely eat shit. Eat shit. You can all eat shit. But he 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 absolutely sort of stuck out more yeah. than anyone else is just being really unlikable, which is brilliant. He oozes absolutely, arrogance. which is which is brilliant to see from the actor that played Captain America. You know, the unfallible, cannot do wrong Captain America, who was just a nice guy, always trying to do the right thing, and then you see him as this character, and you're like, ah, this guy's this guy's got range. He can do unlikable as well, but he knew he was never going to get a prob- probably a fair cut. Oh, let me guess. Hey, stop, stop. Hugh Drysdale? Call me Ransom, it's my middle name. Only the help calls me Hugh. Okay, uh, this is Trooper Wagner. I'm Lieutenant Elliot. I just want to ask a few questions. 
Excuse me. Sir? We're officers of the law. You gonna run me in? I don't feel like talking. I'm distraught. Hey, Benny, you wanna ask this guy some questions? All right, what is this? What's this arrangement? Mr. Drysdale. CSI KFC? I know that you quite enjoyed the revelation of Ransom, played by Chris Evans, America's ass, as he would call himself, as the as the true kind of perpetrator of uh, behind everything. I mean, he does actually murder someone, and you know, I know that Christopher Plummer's character takes his own life, but Ransom does actually in his cover up. He does he he kills the the housemaid Fran in the process, and then obviously he goes on record on that. For the ending when i go into who done it like you said earlier on you are guessing at who did it and i just felt it was i knew he did it and i i kind of i kind of saw the clues as well so only thing lacking for me then was the big revelation i saw him and i was like that's captain america he has played good parts he's a good guy so immediately when I saw him and the fact that he stormed out of an argument with Christopher Plummer, his name is Hugh, but people call him Ransom. You know, you, you know what a ransom is, you know, and, and he, he essentially is holding everybody to ransom because when he finds out about the will, I mean, he bursts out. Yeah, laughing. yeah. But if you actually see what he's doing with the chessboard beside him, he has a castle and he puts a king on top of it because... He knows the plan. He's the king of the castle, and he's expecting everything to kind of plan out. So you've got, you know, Ryan Johnson used lots of clever kind of symbolism there, but at the same time, I just felt that was a bit too obvious because I liked his yeah. performance. I yeah, I loved yep. seeing him really arrogant. I loved it when Martha yep. spewed all over him to show that she was lying about everything that she was saying in the final kind of revelation where he is tricked into recording that he's actually behind it all. But simply because of his casting, I, I am, my gut instinct immediately went, it's him, he did it. Ben Weeblong says, you know, things that give us clues all the way through. He says to Marta, as she's stroking the dog, who's calm and loves her, he says, the best judge of character is a dog. Yeah, and yet when first time we meet Ransom, the dogs are all over him. They're barking. He's like he, it's like he's an enemy. And when we see Martha telling us her version of events, uh, we meet one of my favorite characters, which is great grandmother Juanita, who is Christopher Plummer's mum, uh, played by Kay Callan. And some people might actually recognize her. She was Martha Kent in the new adventures of superman in the 1990s but she's sat beside the window and she says to marta ransom is that you again and it's quite clear also when marta discovers fran who ransom is trying to set up and he's trying to hide her fran who's also an immigrant says uh, when she's when she's doped up with an overdose of morphine, she says, "You did this. You did this. Now get away with this, sister." Uh. Now immediately we're thinking, oh, you know, she's talking about Martha, but she's not saying you. She's saying Hugh. Wow. And that's Ransom's first name. Hugh did this. So 
there's there's all these really obvious kind of mm-hmm. markers yeah. throughout the film which then just took away the surprise moment for me other than that i i really enjoyed it i mean who wouldn't enjoy this huge ensemble cast and it's just fantastic to see christopher Plummer still going at the the age of 90 and to be honest i've always got a soft spot for don johnson as well Hmm. i'm going to give a quick shout out to one of his very underrated movies which was on bbc2 recently called cold in july you might be able to still get it on the iplayer but you know when you've got a cast like like chris evans playing against character who when he sees daniel craig's sleuth he takes he looks him up and down and he says csi kfc yeah that kind of thing you know i love that i love that humor that's behind it definitely enjoyable but for me the twist twist could have been better hmm. no i i totally agree and it, it does seem like a, a little bit of a sort of a little bit of a deflated reveal because it wasn't as much of a mystery because i think towards the end you start to i mean i wasn't as clued up like i missed quite a lot of those things as the film went on because i thought it was maybe a bit too obvious that the really unlikable character was actually the person behind it all kind of thing Ah, um i thought it was maybe just a bit too straightforward and i was kind of waiting for some other kind of twist but yeah, when it did come to the kind of reveal, it was sort of like, all ah, right, well, we've kind of already arrived at this. It isn't like a sort of shock surprise or, you know, even really much of a twist. It's just kind of like a, oh, right, okay, so it was Ransom then. Right, fair enough. Yes. So is that something that you really want from, do you want that kind of shock twist moment from a murder mystery? Well, from from reading a few Sherlock Holmes books and watching the entire Benedict Cumberbatch series, um, I really do enjoy the kind of... It doesn't even have to be a shock twist. It, it, you know, it just has to be kind of surprising. And, it, and to have a sort of shock revelation or a surprise, you instantly try and figure it out. And the more difficult it is to figure it out, I think the more satisfying it is when you're given the answer. Like, okay, so this is how they got away with the crime or this is how they done it and then you're like ah oh, right oh now i get it rather than right well they did it so it's just a matter of trying to figure out how they've done it and i did i did still quite enjoy how they went about you know how ransom did what he did but it wasn't as more of it, it wasn't as a hmm right okay so that's who actually did it i don't see how they could have and then it's revealed it, it wasn't it wasn't quite the same yeah because i like I like the twist. I I like that in a murder mystery, and uh, just that was what was lacking here. I mean, if I think of other murder mysteries, if I think of times where even the villain wins, you've got films like The Usual Suspects, uh, directed by Brian Singer. You've got Seven, directed by David Fincher. I mean, actually, both those villains played by Kevin Spacey. Primal Fear, 1996, with Edward Norton and Richard Gere. Oh, yeah. And even Clue, with its multiple lovely endings. I know it's not necessarily trying to reinvent the wheel. It almost ended up being this homage yeah. to murder mystery. What I would maybe like to see is more invention in the sequel right okay a very original film noir murder mystery set in a high school with joseph gordon levitt 
for me, very original movie. Knives Out, very enjoyable, less original. That's how I kind of sit. Yeah, I would agree with that. Plenty of nods and homages to other films and very enjoyable to watch, like, regardless. But doesn't, I wouldn't say, wouldn't have said has the same kind of impact as previous films. Because, I mean, I had had, uh, watched the Murder on the Orient Express, the remake, uh, when it came out in cinema. I'd never seen the original. Kenneth Branagh. And, you know, I, I didn't really know a great deal about it. So the reveal for that was one of those kind of, it's so simple, it makes sense kind of reveals, but it was still a bit of a, oh, right, okay. Like, it was still a bit of a surprise um, to me. But because if you hadn't figured it out already, by the time it comes to the reveal, you've kind of worked it out. Yeah, definitely kind of, there's there's something sort of taken out of it. So in terms of the the film overall, what would you say was your favourite part? So my favourite part of Knives Out, I think that's probably going to... It's probably the moment where Michael Shannon's character, when he's talking to Marta, just outside our, outside our house, and he's kind of very passive, passive-aggressively, almost kind of blackmailing her and, you know, saying that, you know, you, you might be here legally, but we know that your mum isn't. And, you know, if you relinquish yes. if you give us all the you know if you say den- denounce the the will and you give us the money yeah. back like we'll make sure that you know we talk to proper good lawyers new york lawyers dc lawyers and we'll make sure that your mom's taken care of and that she gets to stay in the country and all this stuff and it's the sort of the kind of flick of a switch moment where she sort of kind of realizes well i have all the money and i have all the resources so I don't really need you to do it for me yes. because you know she has all the resources. So I really quite liked, I really quite liked that moment because they mentioned earlier as well whether they were genuinely trying to be nice or whatever. But you know they understood that you know Mara had been a big part of uh, Harlan's life, being a friend and not just a nurse, and you know essentially becoming part of the family. They talk about that quite a lot at the start during the interviews. You know how they want to sort of take care of her and her family. You know because they've got all this money and you know they they want to do that. So the fact that she was able to then kind of just do it herself because she was given this opportunity, this money, these resources, you know, all these things from Harlan. You know, it was kind of nice, like you know. I appreciate what you're saying, but you're kind of blackmailing me, and I don't need you. So yeah, that that was probably my favourite moment. It was it was it's kind of a flipping the bird moment back on to onto the the thrombies because Michael Michael Shannon's known for playing quite dark and sinister characters. You had him in Boardwalk Empire. Uh, he was Zod in Man of Steel as well, and here he comes across as. Uh, a bit of a wet fish. I mean, he's he's the editor in chief for Harlan Thromby. He very much proclaims that he is in charge of everything. Uh, and again, there's that sense of entitlement. You know, he believes he's in charge, but he's yeah. not in charge. Harlan is clearly in charge. Christopher Plummer's character, and obviously that's why Ranson decides to to take action because because he's very much aware that they're they're not getting anything so for them to get and especially him to get that comeuppance because yeah as you say it's all these kind of falsities and nicey 
niceties because that for me is the it's the underlying racism in the film we're going to be mm. you know oh marta we understand your situation you know you, we're aware that you're from some whatever south american country but we'll take care of you they don't care about her in the mm -hmm. slightest and therefore when she does actually get that standout moment to finally be like oh the this is all mine and when she's in the house and they're on the outside you've got her looking down she's up from a low camera mm -hmm. angle which is forcing the audience to look up to her and actually for the first time mm -hmm. in the film that's when we're doing that it's it's like fight it's like finally the right person has achieved mm -hmm. their status and they're shot from a high camera angle so we're looking down on them now being vulnerable all through the movie we've yeah. pretty much seen them either through a medium shot or a kind of eye level shot when chris evans character roman is playfully stacking the king on top of the castle well no mm -hmm. marta is the queen of the castle and she looks down on her former on her on her subjects the people that she worked yeah. for and jimmy lee curtis is just got death stare eyes She's smoking a cigarette, mm. but that high camera angle and showing how now the kind of power really kind of switches, and it's yeah. it is, it's a it's a lovely moment. I think that that's that's a that's a good part to choose. I I particularly liked two funny moments, and both of them actually involve Ransom and, and <laughs> Marta. It's it's Marta's inability to lie, so she vomits and. Yeah, and the fact that Chris Evans as Ransom is kind of doing the, the bad guy spiel. You know, he's he's putting all his eggs in the basket and and he's he's saying how he's getting away with this and he's got all these high priced lawyers and she's keeping she's keeping her vomit in because she is lying to him in order to get the recording the the, the 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 lieutenants uh, and the detectives need yeah yeah and I love that he finishes his rant and then just boom she releases and vomits all over him yeah I killed Fran but I guess I didn't so what do you have on me nothing what attempted murder I get arson for the building and a few other charges with a good lawyer which I have I'll be out in no time and then you'll see just how much hell I can wreak on your life you vicious little bitch. That's right. Friend's dead. And you just confessed to her murder. Well, in for a penny. And on top of that, to have a double whammy moment because when he is aware all oh right i've been recorded fran's also yeah. dead so he is he is going down for murder and he says well in for a penny in for a pound and he grabs one of the knives yep. off of the display uh very you know very threatening that display so it's kind of reminding me of like game of game of thrones it's constantly <laughs> there but then harlan is yeah. very theatrical 
he's got all these kind of props and things and he and he talks he actually says uh, and it's like foreshadowing he says when he's when he's playing uh, the game of go against martin mm -hmm. he says that his family none of his family would be able to tell the difference between a real yep. knife and a prop knife and of course ransom grabs the knife hammers at home yeah and what is it it's a prop knife prop knife yeah i love that bit and i enjoyed the foreshadowing as well because when that when that moment happened the line that um uh, christopher Plummer said near the start of the film it wasn't in my head throughout the entire thing but when it, the moment that happened and it was revealed it sort of just kind of clicked and i thought brilliant that was actually that was pretty good subtle foreshadowing because that was it that was yes. the one statement and then you know it happened at the end and they were they were at either side of the film it wasn't like a oh by the way that they might be real or you know they, they didn't kind of allude to it that they might be real you know it, it was just like a almost like a throwaway yeah. statement but it ended up being far more important and mattering a whole lot more yeah, at the end did, and i think ryan johnson because obviously he's writer director because he's got so much control there the dialogue actually becomes so important and you've yeah. got that brilliant throwaway comment from christopher Plummer. you know you just think he's slagging off his family and actually it completely mm -hmm. ties in with the final kind of ransom's final act and i mean daniel craig to give him credit uh, i've not been a big fan of daniel craig as james bond to be fair I, I like right. Casino Royale, I like Skyfall, I really do not like Spectre, I deeply loathe the fact that they, they, they had Blofeld being his half-brother or whatever. I will go and see the new one, but mm. I want to see Daniel Craig doing these kind of roles. So when I saw him in Logan Lucky and then I heard the accent for Bing Wee Blong, I thought this is, this is kind of right up my street. Not easily, and not and no accent comes to me easily at all. I wish they did. I'm I'm a terrible mimic. I was just talking to someone the other day about it, and sort of saying if I do impressions of people, they just all sound like the same person. <laughs> it's like I don't have a so I have to I have to really work at it. It's like kind of learning a song or something. You have to kind of just I have to kind of just bash away at it for for months on end before. And then when I'm when it when it's in, it's in, and then I can just do it, and I can say anything in it. And that has to be it has to be like that. I can't sort of I can't put it on. And, and the way the script's written, he's written as this sort of eloquent Southern gentleman, someone who's used to oratory, who's used to, who's used to speaking, who likes the sound of his own voice, who's, who speaks his thoughts to get his head together. Um, so it was just there. So I just, you know, I filled in the gaps. And his dialogue is so important again. So like I mentioned earlier, he says, you know, like, he mm -hmm. says the game is afoot. Something is afoot. He says, best judge of character is a dog. All that dialogue points in the direction of who the mur who the murderer is mm -hmm. so it's it, it lends itself to it so in a way you've got these kind of obvious markers yeah okay and i know we talked about and we said that we we would have liked to to have maybe perhaps been more of a twist and everything like that but the the, the stuff they come out with is is enjoyable and the characterization that he comes out with i think that ryan johnson when he's in charge of his own work, such as Brick, such as, as as Looper, then when he's got a lot more kind of control, I mean, even even the stuff that he did with the last the Last Jedi, uh, to a certain extent, you you've got a very 
good director who is I think still learning his kind of craft you know he's not he's he's not been going for the same amount of time for the likes of you would say like Scorsese and Tarantino and Spielberg but he's now getting a fairly decent mm -hmm. filmography under his under his belt I want to see more of Ryan Johnson because I think visually he is a very clever director I like his characters I like his dialogue in particular I like his framing okay so when we see this this is a pair I, I really like directors who know how to use the camera cleverly so when we often see Marta it's actually through a window frame and it's a further kind of layered clue because if you see her in a window frame or if you also see her in a mirror which has a frame around it it's visually telling us or symbolizing that she is being literally framed in the film ah right so one of the one of the standout moments is when she sees great grandmother uh, Winetta and it's who's sitting in front of the window and she's looking at her through the window frame brilliant but we also see key moments um, where she's looking out of a window so it's things like that that i think he does he does really well i definitely want to see more of ryan johnson and and keep him to his own stuff i i know that he he did write at the last jedi yeah you still have to think about how much influence that there is coming from the producers and obviously yeah the, uh, and, and disney and things like that it, i think what you get with knives out is probably more freedom for him to do what he can do best but yeah in terms of the film how do you personally rate it you, with your personal rating system so my personal rating system being the infinity stones out of six i actually gave it five five out of six because i mean I, Woo! I, that's generous yeah that that's it's pretty high but it's because i did i did really enjoy it i know we discussed earlier the the, the kind of slightly deflated final reveal of who done it and i think that's probably what brought it down for me because i really did enjoy the rest of it I, it was a satisfying film the way the story transpired it made you guess but i suppose the story was maybe just a little bit more straightforward because you're i don't know for me personally i was constantly thinking oh maybe marta did do it maybe like an interpretation or part of a story because at the start everyone when they're being interviewed is telling the story slightly differently it's not massive but like different people are around arlen and it could it could just be something like that uh, maybe arlen uh, harlan sorry didn't actually kill himself and stuff so you're always kind of yes. second and third guessing and then it's not it, yes. you know it's not as complicated but it's complicated in its own different ways enjoy the foreshadowing i thought it looked really cool i thought the setting was really really quite cool and yeah so i'm i'm gonna give it a five out of six infinity stones what what about you are you still going with are we still with the chainsaws for you we are still with the chainsaws so <laughs> ash has got his chainsaws out to carve up some deadites and he, he has taken out three chainsaws three out of uh of three chains three chainsaws out of a possible arsenal of five so we will see how he gets on carving right. away i i enjoyed it I would re-watch it for the visuals, the, the Easter eggs, 
I would rewatch it for the characterization because yeah. obviously you're not going to rewatch yep. a murder mystery for the mystery element. Once no. the mystery element is is revealed, then then that's it. But yeah, some of my favorite films are mysteries, are murder mysteries. So even though you know what happens, you still get drawn back to them. I recently uh, rewatched uh, the Fugitive with with Harrison Ford. Now I know he finds the one armed man, but <laughs> I like the I like the stunts. I like the the prison escape on the the railway and which is hit by the train. Yeah. I like the character of Tommy Lee Jones. Mm-hmm. I will revisit Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, directed by Shane Black with Robert Downey, Robert Downey Jr. and Val oh, yeah. Kilmer because as a buddy uh, mystery film, I find it incredibly funny the the way that they they go off each other and again like uh brian johnson shane black is a is a master of of dialogue so i would definitely return to it i I just can't go higher than three chainsaws purely because i want to be wowed in the revelation and for me the revelation Mm -hmm. just was not strong enough I didn't sit there and, and think, oh my God, I yeah. can't believe it was Ransom. I had no idea. No, because I I was on to him from the start. We don't want to make things complicated. I, I get that. We want people yeah. to follow the plot. We want to keep it simple. As a fan of murder mystery films, I want to be wowed. Uh, so I, I'm going to go with the average and I give it, I give it three chainsaws out of five for some fantastic direction by Brian Johnson. Yeah, I certainly would agree with the garden, uh, garden, <laughs> the garden, the garden. <laughs> yes, yes, the garden is now re- reviewing films uh, because it's the only thing that is allowed out uh, during lockdown. But the Guardian, uh, if I can get my words out, uh, the, the Guardian went for the average. They gave it three out of five, and yeah. they said I, I expected the rug to be pulled out from under me, replaced, pulled out again, challenging everything I had seen with my own eyes. That doesn't quite happen. So yeah. I I would certainly go along with that. A lot of fun, a lot of fun to be had, mm. but missing that big wow revelation. Yeah. Roger RogerEbert.com um that gave it something just a little bit more. It gave it three and a half out of five. Um, saying that it's not just a wildly fun mystery to unravel, but but a scathing bit of social commentary about where america is in 2019 and again that's you know the bit the bit that we've taken out of the review there that's that's pretty accurate for what we were what we were discuss, discussing earlier but the overall kind of rating three three and a half out of five that's that's probably kind of fair i mean the likes of rotten tomatoes gave it 97 percent. like that's oh it's got an incredibly high score in rotten tomatoes yeah yeah and i mean what, what really did empire high. what did empire give give it empire gave it four five right and they said knives out is a sly wry and nimble homage to the murder mysteries of yesteryear with a modern spin now i completely agree with with what they have said i i don't yeah. agree with their their rating we found last week as well that empire were slightly overly generous to dead don't die possibly because yeah it, it was an independent film as well i mean this is the, this is yeah. the second 
film we, we would now reviewed where we've had Empire giving it four out of five. Uh, to mm. me, as a, I mean, I've been, I've read Empire since I was about ten years old, but they can be quite overly generous for some things, and they'll admit that themselves. I mean, they they do go back and and re-review things and find elements that they perhaps overstated in in the past right because uh i i don't think i'd be wrong in saying that not everybody agrees that the phantom menace is a five-star movie <laughs> uh misa jaja banks <laughs> Me, misa like five stars <laughs> God's sake. and uh, jar jar go away <laughs> jar jar be gone so the New York Times, I think this was probably the, the sort of last review that we got, or the snippet of a review, um, Johnson's own sleight of hand is estimable, even if his effort to add politics into the crowded mix rings hollow. See, I wouldn't, I, I don't know about that statement, because the politics of it that kind of get brought up, I know there's like an underlying theme, and well, almost like an underlying theme with the uh, the family and where they are, and you know the sort of privileged backgrounds and their 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 thoughts on stuff. But it didn't come to the forefront for me. Like it literally did. Yes. I don't know. Like I, d- I didn't really see the sort of race card being played. I know they had the sort of you know slightly drunken conversations that were you know kind of alternative, you know alt right or you know a bit more right wing, like you know talking about immigration and stuff. But when they were after the money, it you know when they were upset that Marta got the money and they were trying to get it back yeah. off her to me it didn't really seem like they were playing the race card i think they understood like the family seemed to understand fully how Marta was very close to harlan and how they were really good friends and it wasn't anything else i mean she was obviously accused of potentially like sleeping with them and stuff like that because but that that almost seemed like they were kind of lashing out because of out of frustration of losing out on millions of dollars like the you know yes they're they're greedy they're really annoyed they've lost all this money and they're just kind of lashing out but they didn't yeah totally agree there was only a couple of characters that actually lashed out at marta the rest of them were just trying to play it cool and just you know kind of gently like oh you know you have to you know denounce the the will you know you have to you know give the money to us because we're the family and if you do that we will still you know look after you and your mum because you've been part of the family you are essentially part of the family which they say repeatedly but there was only a couple of characters that actually sort of lashed out and again it was never about race it was always about other things like oh were you sleeping with dad and you know you're not actually part of this family the money belongs in the family kind of thing but i I wouldn't say that it 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 rings hollow i just think it wasn't yeah like the sort of politics whether it's reflection of 2019's america or whatever i don't think that was supposed to be something at the forefront i think that was maybe just something in the background something a bit more subtle i like the fact that actually harlan gets the final say because what you have is this horrible family yeah. who aren't really a family to harlan and marta is the only one who uh, as we discussed earlier she is a friend first and and Harlan recognises that. He recognises that this is not a person who is trying to uh, steal all his money. And he's drawn to her. She keeps on mm. she keeps on beating him at the game they play Go. And 
despite the fact that he keeps on losing and he, he considers himself a master of the game, they keep on playing. It's like their routine. Yeah. I would say that so I did read the underlying racism. If you look at the, the game of Go, it's black and white pieces. So you've got the white pieces, and because Harlan keeps getting defeated, the idea that the white privilege is getting prevailed against by the immigrant who is actually winning. You know, these are little subtle things that you can you could say are, are symbols. Yeah. So in terms of what the New York Times are, are saying, I think that overall it just confirms a lot of mm-hmm. ideas that people already have about America and the wrong ideas that they have and the idea of mm-hmm. we get something for nothing. We are better than you. And in Trump society, it's just nice that actually the person that comes out on top is Marta, who nobody really cared about because she was from some South American country that they couldn't be bothered learning. When you go into a, a murder mystery movie, okay, so if you've watched, you know, like uh, classics, you mentioned Murder in the Orient Express, you mentioned Clue, there's Death on the Nile, which actually Kenneth Branagh is currently mm-hmm. filming. Obviously, that, that's on hiatus as well. I know that you're, you're going to give Brick a go. From these kind of like classic movies, what stands out for you in terms of a, a good murder mystery? I think if it's not been made obvious at this stage in the, the podcast, it's, it's most likely <laughs> got to be the reveal, the, the, the sort of wow kind of, oh, wow, I didn't actually see that coming or the sort of shock of, oh, I would never have suspected them. Especially especially at this point, you know, yeah. we're this far along in terms of how many years of films have been around that it's, it's getting harder and harder to actually put a twist in, I would imagine, to, you know, to, to still surprise someone yes. because at this stage in the game, so many good films have come out, whether they're murder mysteries or not, that have got good twists in them. So you start to suspect certain things or certain people and because you maybe at some point suspect everyone at one point or another, when it does get to the reveal, you're like, oh, well, I did think it was them at this stage in the film. I think the tricky part is maybe trying to convince people, yeah, oh, it's, it could be them. And then the, the person watching the film might fixate on it being a particular character and then, you know, change direction completely. Like, oh, it would make so much more sense if it was another character. And then it was neither it was neither of them in the end and then they explain why at the end that 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 sort of thing and i'm going about this in a very roundabout way but for me a good murder mystery film uh, it needs that sort of wow factor and if it's set in a sort of old-timey house like um like clue or like you know like knives out i think that's a yeah it, it might become a bit of a trope but i think that is the sort of particularly awesome setting for a kind of murder mystery like nobody leaves until we find out who did it yeah no i I think that that's that that is of vital importance setting is so important i love the setting of clue obviously it is uh we call it cluedo in in the uk and it's the the film of the the board game because they call it clue in america yeah you've got an ensemble cast there as well tim curry for example ellen brennan madeline can but you've got all the hidden hallways the 
the, the bookcase that opens up and leads to the hidden passage, the freezer that has a back door to it that you know so when you when you go to knives out and you see that they have the uh, hidden entrance to the upper level of the house and there's like there's even an x marks the spot on that hidden doorway because there is a picture yeah of a boy who's climbing out of a picture frame because behind it is the window and and that's the window that that both Marta and Ransom use in the film to gain to gain access yeah. to Harlan. One to cover up the crime uh, as Marta was doing via Harlan's instructions, and, and and B to actually commit the crime in the first place, which was Ransom. So you've got to have those those interiors. I don't know if you if you picked up on it or not, but if you actually look at the the house, it's it's really cleverly designed. I already mentioned that it's got some connections with with sleuth. But if you if you look at the paintings that are in yep. the house, there are a lot of paintings of skeletons and mm -hmm. skulls. Now that is a is an art style that is called memento mori, which basically means that that death comes for all. So it's this idea that you know that we're in a house of death. That this is this is the place where the murder is going to happen. But Ryan Johnson still knows how mm -hmm. to have fun with that because he shows us all these kind of skeleton skulls death patterns and you have this wonderful picture portrait of harlan holding the knife that he actually cuts his throat with ah and in that picture he has a serious expression yeah but at the end of the film when marta has been exonerated when she ends up with everything in the will we cut to the picture and the picture does not have a serious expression it has a smile I thought that was a lovely moment. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And you sometimes see that in other films that are maybe used for a comedic effect. Like, you know the expression of a painting, and obviously it's a painting that can't change expression. But you, you see it at one point in the film or in you know, yes. one scene, and then its expression's changed or it's moved. You know, and it's usually used more for comedic effect. Yeah. But I thought, yeah, you know what, that was... I didn't. I didn't find that cheesy. I thought that was just kind of. It was just kind of nice, to be honest. Um, it, it could. It could just be. Oh, maybe we weren't looking at the painting closely enough. Maybe we weren't paying enough attention. Much like you know his family, they weren't paying enough attention to him. weren't paying enough. You know, and you know, it turns out he was smiling yes. the whole time because, like you said, you know, he got the last laugh. You know, he's made up his mind. So that was kind of it for Harlan. Yeah, he's. Yeah, my mind is made up. <laughs> so if you are going to revisit like a, a murder mystery film mm. you've mentioned clues or any others that you would you would go back and and, and re-watch or, or be drawn to just simply because you enjoyed them well unfortunately i haven't watched a great deal of them we're kind of it's, it's almost reflecting back to the, the the zombie films like i've heard and seen bits of so many different films but I haven't actually sat through the entirety of them, so I've actually got a fair bit of homework to do. Because, like I said, I've seen the the 2017 version of Murder on the Orient Express, but I haven't seen the original. And it would probably be a good idea if I watched yeah. Death on the Nile in its entirety before the remake comes out, which is most likely going to be next year at the earliest. And like I said earlier on in the podcast as well, you you suggested Brick to me. I watched the trailer. It looks awesome, so I just need to find it somewhere now and give that a watch. So, to be honest, 
probably brick more than anything so i'm not going to revisit anything but i'm going to make a point about watching watching that or oh i tell you what here's a bit of a murder mystery one for you who framed roger rabbit i'll go revisit that because it's full of funny cartoons and you have to find out who 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 framed roger rabbit who who did it (laughs) that is a lovely suggestion who who doesn't like uh a bit of robert zemeckis And Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins, yeah. One of one of his one of his finest roles. <laughs> it must be incredibly hard acting to a tennis ball oh, on a stick no. that somebody is shoving in your face <laughs> and saying, This 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 is a talking rabbit, okay? And you know, you've got esteemed actors trying to yeah. take that seriously. <laughs> I, I I I would struggle with that. Are you are you familiar with Films like Primal Fear, The Usual Suspects. I again heard of them, and I know at this stage in my life, I probably should have seen The Usual Suspects. I've seen Seven. Like Seven's incredible. Like that's a brilliant film. Um, but what's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? But that that was that was more of a that that was a mystery up to an extent, well to an extent up to a point. Um, but. You know, the actual murderer walks into the police station yeah. about three quarters of the way through the film. So there is no reference to him and you don't see him at any point up until that up until that stage in the film. And then it's like, oh, right. So it was him. And, you know, now he wants to complete his seven deadly sins kind of thing. That film had the, had the wow factor for me purely because... It's the, it's one of the, the the rare examples of where the villain wins. Now, even though even though John Doe, played by Kevin Spacey, is executed by Brad Pitt, it is because Brad Pitt had to become Wrath in order mm-hmm. to get revenge. So he completes his seven uh, deadly sins, yeah. and he conquers. So. Brad Pitt, his character will never be the same. Police department will never be the same. Morgan Freeman will never be the same. I like, I know that sounds quite sick, but I like when the baddies win because that is a wow moment. That's unexpected. It's good that you've seen uh, Seven. I mean, I, I would I would definitely recommend watching Brick. I would also recommend uh, The Usual Suspects. It, it's one of these ones you... You have to mm. pick off. I recently recommended it to one of my pupils and he came back the next again day and he said, that's my new favourite film. And one last one for anybody else as well. Very underrated um, 1996 film that I mentioned earlier on called Primal Fear, which stars Edward Norton in one of his mm. very early roles and uh, Richard Gere. Uh, Edward Norton as a Brilliant. choir boy who is... Uh, found covered in blood, blood of a uh, archbishop who has been stabbed, I think something ridiculous like ninety-seven times. And Richard Gere is the high-flying mm. lawyer that everybody knows that takes on his case pro bono. But everything is not what it seems, and that—that's what I'll leave you with. It's—it's it's another film where there is that kind of wow moment and. An incredible performance from a young Edward Norton. He, he gets a lot of stick. A lot, of, a lot of people say that he can be a very difficult actor to work with and things. I still feel that The Incredible Hulk is a 
underrated movie and I'm, I'm very glad mm. that Mark Ruffalo went on to, to play the Hulk but I would have it would be quite interesting to see where Edward Norton would have actually have taken it he might be a, a diva I, I don't really know certainly there's a lot of stuff that from his career has been questionable things that have came out afterwards about time on set and things like that but I'm purely judging on performance and, and Phenomenal performance mm -hmm. in that film. So I have got a suggestion for next next week's podcast. Okay, I think what would be quite nice is we've we've looked at two films on the back end of two thousand and nineteen, which did which did make it to the the cinema prior to lockdown. I actually watched this film yesterday. I'm gonna go. I'm I'm gonna rewatch it because I really enjoyed it. Uh, and it is called Extraordinary, and it's on Netflix. So it uh, stars uh, Will Fort, who is an American comedian. He's appeared on things like mm. Saturday Night Live, uh, Flight of the Concords. He is also okay. appeared in, in, in some films as well. Very well-known kind of comedic actor. He's one of these people that you recognize the face if you haven't recognized the name. And yeah. for it being a Netflix film, it's mm -hmm. it's set in Ireland. Uh, Will Fort is probably the the biggest name in it. Everyone else, uh, I need to go and do some research and, and see what they've done before. Oh, okay, it, right. It's a beauty of an independent, funny. I'm not going to say horror because it's not. A, it's it reminded me mm -hmm. of like a funny. Exorcist, and you know when you, stick, okay, when you right. sit something in Ireland and you say funny, a funny Exorcist film. Already, you're kind of laughing, which tells me that you you, you might be intrigued by it. But I watched it, and I just, yeah. I just couldn't help thinking there's a lot of stuff here that yeah. I would have liked to have seen in The Dead Don't Die. And it's not a zombie movie. It's it's similar probably in the in the sense that it's it's a satire oh, okay. of right. perhaps a well known genre. In this case, the the a ghost movie or a film with spirits or apparitions and something some incredible for a low budget. I think it's a lottery funded movie. I'll need to check that. Set in Ireland with no major hmm. stars, some incredible special effects. I'd be very interested to know what you think about that. So it's it's on Netflix and it's oh, called okay. Extraordinary. Not Extraordinary. And we'll, we will discuss that. It is two words. It is not one word. Obviously, we know it's one word, but it's Extraordinary. So, ah, okay. yeah, um, <laughs> if, if you'd like to, to view that and uh, we, I can lead the way with our discussion next week. And who knows, we might do some TV as well. Have you got a shout out to any podcasts? One of the chaps that is part of uh, SAS Who Dares Wins, I think he has, he or he's currently recording the second series of a podcast that he's done i listened to one this week um and it was about the psycho the psychology and what board games can teach you and that was from the art of manliness podcast and that was very interesting i'm not going to go into it in case you fancy listening to it but basically one of the few things i took away from it is that if monopoly before this point in time had never been designed and pitched as a board game it wouldn't get made because it, 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 um, it kind of flies in the face of so many, not only competitive, but co-op 
game like board games because it's yeah it kind of sends the wrong message but because it's an old game and it's popular and it's been around for so long they haven't done anything to change it they've just reskinned it a, a bunch of million times but it was a good podcast so um I, it was you know if you're listening to it on spotify or anything if you go to the art of manliness yeah podcast it'll be within the i think it'll be within the top 10 or the most 10 recent ones anyway but what about you have you had a wee listen to anything new not in terms of podcasts no i've got i've got three shout outs uh, so if you are if you are a subscriber to, to sky tim minchin uh, who some people will know is the australian comic who writes uh, comical songs he wrote the uh, musical Matilda as well. Tim Minchin has written and starred Australian kind of deadpan comedies, about eight episodes long, about 25 minutes an episode, and it's called Upright. Centres around the transportation of a <laughs> piano. So all I'll say is that, and things do not go right. So Tim Minchin, uh, you'll get it on Catch Up, and it's called Upright. I also, because I had been listening to Tim Minchin, I got introduced via him to the comedian Ross Noble, who is uh, 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 from Newcastle. And I, I've, I've seen him on things, but I've never actually sat and watched him. And because I have, if again, if you've got Apple Music, there are four recordings of Ross Noble's uh, live sets, which run about two hours a piece. And he does quite a lot of interactive elements with his, with his crowd. I have not laughed so much in such in, in a long time. Very, very funny guy and really knows how to handle an audience. And my last shout out, again, I feel that we should be getting some kind of sponsorship from Sky here. But if you, if you subscribe to Sky Movies, uh, last week they added a very underrated, overrated, you decide, film, perhaps... Well, no, it's it's not the first Marvel movie because there there was there was some terrible adaptations in the seventies of things like Captain America, but they have added Howard the Duck. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. So so if you are <laughs> if if you are a subscriber to Sky Movies and you you perhaps saw a little cameo uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy. Thank you very much. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Howard the Duck was featured in that. Well, why not go and see the 80s film, which features Tim Robbins as a kind of kooky scientist, and, and Leah Thompson from Back to the Future, who at one point actually makes out with Howard the Duck. Some things can't be unseen. <laughs> very creepy, very creepy. There's also, there's also, I just remembered this, just before Howard, I know that this is probably out of context, but uh, Howard the Duck needs watched if for the opening five minutes because Howard is sucked out of his reality and he is sucked out of it in his armchair and he travels through people's houses and crashes through their walls as he sits there and screams but there is a duck in the bath and they do actually have a pair of duck breasts with nipples. Oh god. Oh god. Yes oh, and, god. and this this was a this this was a Lucas Arts film, so I wonder what they had on their mind. So sexy, sexy ducks <laughs> who also like to to get to 
to get off with uh, with humans or Marty McFly's mum. So that's that's my that's my three shout outs. Now you know you know cool. that I like to to end on a on a quote. So I've I've got a, I, oh, I yes. might be putting you on the spot here, but because I've actually got a quote, I've got oh, a quote already set up from from knives out. So. Is there a particular quote that you would like to, to finish on, Duke, before we, we bid adieu? Probably. Um, I've really enjoyed doing this. So, uh, yeah, that's me. I have spoken. I've made my mind up. My outro quote, okay, is got to be Harlan's mug. Oh, yeah. Which is one of the first things that we see in Knives Out. And it's one of the last things we see as Marta stands, the queen of the castle... And on the mug, it says, my house, my rules, <laughs> my coffee. And on that note, Doug, or should I call you the Dougalorian, it's <laughs> always a pleasure chatting to you about films. Never a chore. And nope. I will catch you next week for Extraordinary. Two words. Extraordinary. Cool. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.